Let's jump in this. How many of you, when, when you were a kid, you hoped you would be rich when you grew up? Anyone? All right, let me explain. Where I grew up in Borger, Texas, rich was to live on Altamira Street. And I actually have a Google Maps of this. So if you'll put that up there, Krista. All right. Now, I know you can't see it very well, but see this loop right here? Altamira Street only had six houses. They were so rich, their address was a single digit. One Altamira, two Altamira. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. So to be, to be on Altamira Street in Borger, Texas, meant you had made it. There was doctors, there was lawyers, and there were presidents of banks and things like that. So I want you to see this one, though. I, I love this. I'd never seen it from the sky. It kind of looks like a, a stealth bomber, but it's a house. Okay, here's a closer one. See that right there? Doesn't that look like a B-12 bomber, you know, stealth bomber? I had no idea. I would have even wanted to be there more had, had I realized they had a stealth bomber house. Well, I really want you to see this one. So I've got a closer, close up of that one. Go to the next one. Uh, and actually, there's a closer one. All right. So wait, go back one. Let me explain it. And then we'll go to this one. All right. So this was, this was the house. All right. So like, like one of the richest men in Borger owned this house and my brother dated one of his daughters. So I got to go to this house my brother's 12 years older than me. And I got to go to this house and this house was awesome. You notice it's in disrepair, but that is a, that is a full size tennis court and they had basketball goals on the end. Now they, they, they had a son who was a year younger than me and they did a really cool thing when we got to be teenagers, got to be high school. We got to go over there. See this right here. Okay. Now go to the close up, if you would, Krista, this is an indoor swimming pool with a retractable roof. Now, I wasn't good enough friends with him to get to jump off of the roof into it, but his friends did that. They were a year younger than me, but we hosted choir parties over there. And I don't even know what this building is. They built that after I got there. But to be on Altamira Drive and to have it, nobody had an in... Hotels didn't have indoor swimming pools back then. They had an indoor swimming pool with a... It was heated, retractable roof. They had a game room that had pool tables and pinball... Pinball machines that you didn't have to put quarters in. Ping pong. I mean, they had a, they had a spiral staircase from their game room up to another. I don't even know what was up there. I think there was a full kitchen up there. That there was a game kitchen. I don't know. But to be there, that meant you had arrived. You were rich. And I so wanted to live on Altamira Street one day. Not going to happen. Notice, too, that... They don't use the tennis court much anymore. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, do you know anybody who's rich? Don't point at them. But have you ever thought, if I had their kind of money, I would be so much better at being rich than they are? You don't have to admit that, but yeah, you're laughing. I, you get it, okay. <clears throat> now, let me ask another question. How many of you are rich? That is more than I expected. You knew this was coming, didn't you? All right. <clears throat> the reason that I'm doing this series is most of us are rich and we just don't know it yet. And, and of course, I realize this is first service and so y'all, y'all, you're the advanced class and so more of you raise your hands than, than, than the later service. But our theme is gonna come, our theme for the next several weeks is gonna come from these verses that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy and this is in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. So he's saying there are rich people right now, alive right now, right now. Command them not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Do you know arrogant rich people? Or at least people who have put all of their hope in, in money? Yeah. 
do not be arrogant. This is a command, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So, so even that, that um, it's in the background. I forgot to put another background on this, but it works. Even this tennis court, you know, the, I'm not saying they put their hope in wealth, but I'm saying that's a, that's a great picture of, of back in the 70s and the early 80s. That was a happening place. It's not anymore because wealth disappears. So don't put your hope in that which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Here's another command, command them to do good. And here's the, here's the whole purpose of this series, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now look what he says. In this way, they, those people who are rich and, and are rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for the future. This present age, we're rich. And he says, if you're careful with how you use the, your generosity and your, your rich and good deeds, you're gonna build a foundation for the next life. And then he says, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. If you want life that matters, that you're passionate about, you've got to be generous, you've got to be rich in good deeds, you've got to be willing to share, you'll build your future life based on how you handle your present financial situation. So what he's saying is, and, and I'm actually, I think I forgot to take this out, so I'm going to skip down a little bit, Krista. What, he, what he's saying is he help rich people be good at being rich. And that's my purpose in these next four weeks is to help you be good at being rich. So let's define it. Gallup, you know, our number one pollster did a poll and he asked different people, how much money would you need to feel rich? This is really interesting. He started with different income levels and he started with $30,000. All right. So the people who make 30 grand a year, he said, how much would you need to feel rich? This was interesting. They said $60,000 a year. So twice what they make. Right. And if you're in the $60,000 category, you don't have to raise your hand today, but you'd probably say, I don't feel rich. And you'd start listing the reasons you don't feel rich. But a $30,000 person a year would say 60,000, man, you people are rich. Then they went to the $50,000 level. They said, how much would it take for you to feel rich? And what do you think they said? $100,000. Dude, if I made six figures, I'd be so rich. You would not even stand to be around me, I'd be so rich. And if you, if you make somewhere around $100,000, maybe combined income, you'd start listing, well, we got private school and we got sports and we got braces. I have three children. We had four sets of braces. We had stage one for my son. We had stage one for my last daughter. We had two stages, two different sets of braces. And it was, that is the, that is the prettiest, most expensive smile that I know of on my daughter, but she's worth it. She's worth it. But when you, when you have all of these bills, people who at this income level would say, I don't feel rich. So here's, here, <laughs> and somebody said to me yesterday, Rachel graduated yesterday and they said, finally, you know, she, she, you're no longer financially responsible for her. I said, we got a wedding in October. Then I'll be done. Praise God. No, I, I love my daughter. I love my daughter. Well, the, uh, the, the percentage of goes down because I've talked to her prospective husband about that. We are transferring. Anyway, here's the point. Rich is a moving target. Would you agree with that? Rich is a moving target. 
Because, check this out. Now, Gallup went to the highest earners, those who make over $200,000 a year. He didn't ask them about how much you earn per year. What he asked was, what, uh, how much in assets would you need? So assets are what your house is worth, your life insurance, your, um, um, all of these different things. So if you've ever gotten a loan, you've had to do this. You've had to do an assets and liabilities uh, uh, thing. And so you put your assets on one side and your liabilities and you get down there. And I don't know, I don't care who you are. When you do this and you turn it into the bank, you go, wow, dude, I didn't know I had that much, right? Because you start putting it down, you're going, wow. So these $200,000 a year people, they've got um, net worth around $2.5 million. Their assets are worth, and, and so they said, how much would you need to feel in assets to feel rich? And you know what they said? $5 million in assets. It's twice as much as what they have. So rich is this moving target. That's the point I'm trying to, to help you understand. Because if you ask the poor guy, Who's, who's maxed out on everything at $2 million, do you feel rich? He does not feel rich. All right, so here's the deal. If we, go ahead and put that up there. If we don't feel rich, we're gonna spend all of our time and energy trying to get rich. And somewhere along the line, we're gonna cross the line of rich and no, not even know it. So we're gonna try to define that in this series. I want you to be good because if you don't know you're already rich, you're not gonna be good at it. So good news today. You are rich. And maybe you want to put, I am rich. Now, you're not going to believe me, so I'm going to spend a little time trying to convince you. All right, so I'm going to give you, I'm going to say, have you ever, and if you answer yes, we'll put something on the screen, not yet. I don't want you to, I don't want you to get ahead of me. Have you ever complained about bad cell phone coverage? That is, go ahead, Krista, rich people problems. So you're going to answer that, right? Rich, so say, rich people problems. Have you ever had trouble deciding which restaurant to go to? Rich people problems. Um, have you ever said, should we go to the beach for vacation or the lake or to the mountains? Anyone? Rich people problems. Has your computer ever crashed? Rich people problems. Have you ever complained about slow internet? Rich people problems. Have you ever complained that your car won't start or something's wrong with your car again? Rich people problems. Last night, how many of you had no electricity? Rich people problems. I drove out here and slept in my office because I wanted a fan and air conditioning because we didn't have electricity at our house. That is rich people problems, right? What if Amazon doesn't have your size? Rich people problems. Have you ever not bought something on Amazon because it isn't prime two-day shipping? I've done that. In fact, if there are two things, even if it's a couple of dollars more and it'll get here in two days instead of three days, I'll buy the one that gets there in two days. That's rich people problems. All right, you get the idea. Next time, okay, I want you to pay attention to this. Now, we are gonna have a hard time understanding this because of the massive amount of rain we've had lately. But the next time we're without rain for any significant amount of time, and one of our big cities has a watering ban, I want you to think of this sermon, right? Because in most places outside the United States, people, mainly women and children, walk for hundreds of yards, maybe even miles, with water jars on top of their head just to have water for cooking and drinking. They can't imagine a place where they have so much water that they just spray it out on the ground rich people problems. How many of you have ever washed your own car in your driveway? How many of you, because it would save you a few minutes, have ever gone through one of those drive-through car washes 
to save you 20 to 30 minutes. Rich people problems. Okay, here's the deal. Rich people have opportunities, and this is great news. And I want to show you from Scripture what God has to say about that. Ecclesiastes 5.19, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this. As for every man, woman, to whom God has given riches and wealth, and by the way, that's you, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a what? Gift from God. And the purpose of this series is to help you recognize the giver of the gift and the gifts he's already given you. Because if you do that, your heart is going to change. Now, most of you are going to push back and you say, I'm not rich. And I want you to watch this. Today, you're going to drive your car to your climate-controlled house, assuming your electricity is back on. You're going to upload a picture of your pepperoni pizza that was driven to and delivered to your climate-controlled house. And you're going to put it on your favorite social media with your unlimited data plan. We're doing okay, right? We're, we're actually doing okay. We're rich. Now, if you ask people outside the United States, about half the population outside the United States, you, you ask them what is rich, you know what they'd say? Rich people have cars. How many of you have one car? Outside the United States, if you have one car, they would say you're rich. And in fact, if you have one car, if you own one car, you are in the top 3% financially in the world. Now, these same people would say, now, I've heard people in America, they got two cars. They have an extra. One for him, one for her. How many of you got two cars? I got two cars. They'd say, not only that, we've heard that these same people have houses for their cars. We call them garages, but they drive them in and they cut, put the door down to protect them from the crazy East Texas weather. That's rich. They're so rich that they'll drive their car past 15 buildings called restaurants to get to the 16th building because it has their favorite dipping bread and cheese sauce so that they can eat at that. <laughs> and then they'll order three meals. Appetizer, main course, dessert. Rich people problems. So as we start this series, I just want you to admit something today. And this may take some practice, so we're going to practice for the next four weeks. You're going to say this. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. So say it with me. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Let's do it again. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Now you say it without my prompting. God has blessed me more than I need. Okay. Now, what I want to warn you about today is the side effects of being rich. And I want you to put a little star by these side effects if they apply to you. First one, rich people confuse being rich with feeling rich. Rich people confuse, this is a side effect, being rich with feeling rich. I started mowing lawns when I was 10 years old. Um, and I didn't have any bills. And I start, my parents would drive me to the houses where I would mow. And as I mowed, and it was started with little old ladies. And, and if I did a good job, and I, I, I remember one lady, I mowed underneath her, her big tree. There was a, kind of a big pine tree and it had branches down at the ground. And I was pushing up under there to get it. And she said, I was 10 years old. She said, nobody has ever done that before. You can mow my lawn, lawn as long as I'm alive. And I said, yes, ma'am. She started telling all of her little old lady friends. And I got this huge business going on. This was awesome. And I'm like, I'm gonna push under everybody's tree. I learned real 
early. You do that, you get paid. Well, I would go home and I had this coffee can in the top drawer of my desk and I would just chunk my money in there. They would pay me cash and I'd go and just throw it in there. And my mom and dad never expected anything from me. I did not understand how big a deal this was until I, I started mowing with my son when he was 10 years old. My dad sharpened blades, bought blades, put gas in, put, my dad did all of that stuff and I didn't realize how much it cost until Caleb was 10 years old. And I'm like, thank you, dad. He goes, it's about time. You said, thank you. Because he said to me one time, he goes, who do you think kept your mower running? I said, you. <laughs> As he was helping me with, with mowers, teaching me some stuff. Dad did all of that. If I needed clothes, my parents paid for that. If I wanted to go to the movie, mom would hand me money. I got a bucket of money right there. And so you know what I felt? I felt rich. I felt rich because I had no expenses. I had more than I needed. So the moral of that story is if you want to feel rich, start mowing lawns and move back in with your parents. Not really. Here's the, here's the reason you don't feel rich. The one thing you need to feel rich, and it's called margin. Margin. Margin is extra. Margin is the difference between what you need and what you have. And so if you, if you spend, if, you're, if your style of living, your lifestyle is equal to or more than, greater than the amount of money you bring in each month. It feels like you're on the edge of the cliff and anything can happen and you'll fall over that cliff, right? Now, I don't think I have to have you raise your hands. I think we've all been in a situation where we thought, if one more thing happens, I'm done financially. Margin moves you back from the cliff. And for example, if you ever take Financial Peace University, the first thing he does is get a, he says, get a $1,000 emergency fund. Now, I know teenagers who think that a $1,000 emergency fund, that's all you ever need. My air conditioner at my house has started doing some strange things. It's 24 years old. It's almost as old as my son. It's older than two of my children. Do you think that $1,000 is going to cover my air conditioner when it goes out? No. If all I got is $1,000 and my air conditioner is going out, I'm back here falling off the cliff. So a wise person gets more and more margin so that when those emergencies come up, you are able to take it from that. Does this make sense to you? Margin helps you feel rich. It's the key to feeling rich. It's the freedom to spend more, but combined with the, the, the willpower to spend less. That's why an 80, a person who makes $80,000 a year, but is spending $85,000 a year is already over the cliff and they don't feel rich because they're not, they're out of control. When you're falling, you definitely don't feel rich. So, so the first side effect is, confusing being rich with feeling rich. Second side effect, rich people are, are plagued by discontentment. Discontentment. And see, here's the deal. The more you have, the more you want. And, and your desire, your, your want, that's an appetite. And the more you feed an appetite, the more it wants. The favorite word of any appetite is more. That's why I struggle with bluebell because I just want more. When you feed an appetite, it grows. And as you feed it, it grows. And when it grows, do you know the first thing it does? First thing it attacks is your margin because you think you need more. And I was, sitting the, I was actually back in the rocking chair because I slept over there and I was studying this morning. So I was in the rocking chair in the nursery this morning rocking. And, and for some reason, when I got to this point, God reminded me of the cookie monster. 
You remember, it didn't matter how many cookies he had, cookies. He ate them all, right? That's what happens with your appetite when you feed it. Your appetite for more, I need cookies. It reminded me, I, I came across this, and I, I, I forgot to ask Rachel, because Rachel was a psychology major. Um, she got her bi- a Bachelor of Science degree in, in psychology. And, and it came across this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Go ahead and put that up there if you would. Now, you can't really read this, and I think this is probably standard in most uh, college classes. But here's, And I don't agree with all this, but, but hang with me. Here's what he said. He said, physiological, down here, I don't know if you can read this, air, water, food, sleep, clothing, shelter. He's saying that... that when, when we don't have those things, the rest of the hierarchy doesn't matter. The rest of the pyramid doesn't matter. If you don't have food, you're looking for food. If you don't have water, you're looking for water. And the interesting thing about this is, is no matter where you are on this, this pyramid, you always want more. If you're at the bottom, you want more food, more water, more sleep. You just, you want more. And once you get that, then you begin to move to the second level. Now at the second level, personal safety, economic security, um, health, you want more of those things. You want a bigger bank account, more secure. You want a better house. You want some more secure health. And, and here's the thing, a couple of weeks or several weeks ago in, in April when that big storm hit, um, Brandon and Emily Stone were asleep on one side of the house. Their kids were asleep on the other side of the house and this tree falls and smashes right through the middle. Did incredible damage to their house. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just pointing this out. When a tree falls through your house and maybe you're up on level three or four, you go back to level one because you say, what I need is security for my family. I need a place to stay and they had to find a place to stay. And, and so what I'm saying is what my, what my favorite seminary professor always said is, Suffering drastically reduces your wish list. When, when, you, when everything's going well, we tend to look, look up. And, so, and what happens is, as we get all of these bottom needs met, as we get the second, we look up and the focus becomes what I don't have, not what I do have. And it takes something drastic to bring us back down to the bottom where I'm appreciative of what I do have. And so we're gonna talk about in this series how you combat this discontentment thing. Because the richer you get, the more your priorities begin to separate from actual needs to wants. And wants are harder to define. And and, uh, we simply move from things we need to things we want. And as we head up that pyramid, here's the greatest danger. Not Not only do you look at what you don't have, you become less generous. Let me give you some stats to, to back this up. The median income in the United States is around $50,000. We're going to use that. So go ahead and put that up there if you would, Krista. Did I put that on there? I thought I put $50,000. Okay. Maybe I didn't. I'll put it for next service. $50,000. Now, people who, who make $50,000 in the United States on average give 6% of their income to charity. Now, that comes out to $3,000 a year. It comes out to $250 a month. And that's not bad. Now, the scripture says 10%, but 6%. Just imagine if everybody in, in Palestine who made $50,000 gave 6%. Oh, she found it. Yay. I thought I did it. I probably put it in the wrong place. Oh, change the background. Gotcha. So, okay. So gave 6%. Go ahead and put the next one up. So that's $3,000 per year. That's $250 a month. And you would think, well, that's not bad. Well, what happens if somebody starts making $200,000 a year? You would assume they would give at least that much, probably more, but it goes the opposite direction. People in the United States who make $200,000 give 4% on average. That comes out to um, $8,000 per year or the devil's number, 666.66 a month. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but uh, I just thought it was funny. 
The higher you go in income in the United States, the lower percentage. And, and I actually do this when I'm going to vote for somebody. I look at their charitable giving. And I can't tell you how many politicians who make over a million dollars a year, actually several million dollars a year, give 1% or less of their income to charity. And then they want to tell me how to spend my tax dollars. That just is bizarre to me. And let me just say, if you want to be in leadership at this church and if you want to make decisions about how we spend God's money, if you're not given 10%, you don't qualify because I think you can't possibly understand what God wants to do with his money if you're not practicing what we preach, what we believe the, the Bible teaches. Now, not all people who are rich are like this, but the majority in America. The people who are rich and are generous have understood that, that their hope is not in money. It's in something else. It's really that simple. Now, before you start whining about how little you have and don't judge me for what I don't give, listen to this verse from our Savior. His lips, Luke 16, 10, and 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy worthy in handling worldly wealth, this present, the money is a test of what you're doing in this life, who will trust you with true riches, which is the stuff that the future in heaven is made of? Let's, let's just say we could go to Haiti this year and we could go to Jacmel and we could go to Pastor Jude's house. One of the, one of the, he is one of my heroes of the faith, Pastor Jude is. He lives in a four-room house that the first year we went, we actually worked on his house. And um, because the, the, the pastor who... Um, Okay, Pastor Elbar is, is actually over this, this group of churches. So he's like the, the, the pastor who is the, over the association of churches. He said, Pastor Jude needs his house worked on, but he will never ask for it. You're going to have to go through Praying Pelican and say to them, we want to come work on your house. And he was extremely humbled by this. Now, Pastor Jude's house is, is if I'm remembering right, is four rooms, four rooms, um, there's no electricity. There's no running water. If I'm remembering right, one, the bedrooms are separated by curtains. Um, they, they cook food. You go out of the door and you go down about 20 yards or so and they have this little, um, they have this lean-to-like thing with a, with a metal roof. That's, that's their kitchen is outside, kitchen. Um, I found out very quickly where the restroom was because they told us before we came down the hill to, they said, and, and in Haiti, well, in, you just, you, you have to say if you got to go to the bathroom and they, you know, we have this talk, the first talk, anyway. So they said, you're not going number two at Pastor Jude's house. You're going to have to get in a car, come back up here because they built restrooms behind the church for teams that come in. But number one is okay. So I, I have to go number one, and I asked to go number one. So they took me in one of the rooms, gave me a bucket, set it on the ground, walked out, pulled the thing, and I went, okay, this, this, is, this is where you go. I'm telling you, you need to go to Haiti. <laughs> you need to go on a mission trip with us. Now, let's go to Pastor Jude. And you begin to explain the financial pressures you have. Let's explain that to Pastor Jude. Would you be embarrassed? If you're not, there's something wrong with your heart. Because he would not comprehend. And he's one of the most joyful 
spirit-filled men I've ever met in my life. You don't need stuff to look like Jesus. One of the biggest problems we'd have in explaining our life to Pastor Jude is this word. Rich people always want, and I, I made it big. We want an upgrade. We want it to be better, right? Rich people don't like to wait for things to break. <laughs> That's so 2015, waiting for things to break. Rich people give things away while they're still good, and they go and buy pretty much the same thing, only newer and nicer. It's upgraded. Have you ever driven a perfectly good car to a car dealership, given the dealer money, left your perfectly good car there with a promise to pay him more money as you drive away in a newer, nicer car? Anyone? Or is that just me? That's rich people problems. <laughs> if you ever wonder how someone who makes twice your income can be broke, can go bankrupt, it's this. It's, it, I, it's because no one ever taught them how to be rich and be good at it. And believe it or not, the scripture is going to teach us a whole lot about that. If you'll just hang in there. This discontentment word is a disease in America that's keeping us from accomplishing all God wants us to accomplish. Let's move on. Side effect number three. Rich people suffer from a migration of hope. Migration of hope. That's a nice way to say that over time, wealth becomes a substitute for God. <laughs> it is. So let me just ask you a question. Here's, here's my question. How much money would, it, would you need to be prepared for any future emergency that's coming your way? You know the answer? More than you currently have. <laughs> I don't know the answer, but more than you have. Can, can you be ready for every eventuality? No. And, and here's the problem. This is the problem. The fear of the future drives us to hoard and to worry and I should have put this on. Remind me, Kristen, I'll put this on. I should have added this. This is something I wrote in my notes. It does not drive us to worship God. I should have put God in there. You know what it causes us to worship? Money. My bank account. It's like I talked about last week, you know, the slice of the pie mentality. If you get to too big a slice, my, my slice is smaller. Our, our hope migrates from this verse, my favorite verse. Years ago, one of my students asked me what my favorite verse was. This was it, and she actually did a little calligraphy thing of it. I have it in my office. Philippians 4.19, our, our hope migrates from, and my God will supply all of your needs, how according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It moves from that to, I will supply all of my needs according to my abilities. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to say, no, God, I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to trust me. I don't think you do. So the good news today is you are rich, at least according to 99% of the world, if we were to ask them. The bad news is you're not very good at it because you're suffering from one or more of the side effects of being rich. So here's where I want to go in this series. Here's, here's, put it up there if you would, Krista. It's not what you have that matters. Or it's not what you don't have that matters. Go ahead. It's what you do with what you have that will count either for you or against you. 
in the next life, in the kingdom of heaven. There is a way we can impact heaven and it's how we use the resources that God has given us. So the purpose of this series, please understand me, is not to make you feel guilty. Guilt doesn't motivate anybody. But if you become generous and you start to recognize who gave you everything, you become generous and it changes your heart. But your generosity is not my main concern. I actually have a deeper concern. And it's the reputation of the local church, specifically the reputation of this local church. I want us to be generous, not just generous. I want us to be irrationally generous. <laughs> See, the New Testament church did for people who could not or would not do anything in return, and it changed history. We got to be a church like that. It wasn't normal, it got people's attention and God got the glory and thousands of people came into the kingdom of God because they said, these people not only love each other, they love people outside the walls. So I think I put the picture in there to put it in there, Krista. So I just gotta tell you, this Adopt-A-Box thing, um, we started this in January and it's just been bugging me that you see all of those empty spaces. And, and I'm, I'm giving $1,000. I'm gonna go at however many. I've already given 200. You can't see my name under there where, where Miss Yvonne put hers. I, I gave 200 because I wanted, I'm not ever gonna ask you to give to something that I'm not gonna give to you. I'm gonna give $1,000 and, and I'll take as many as I need to because in my estimation, we should never have, we should never if it's of God, I will say this, if it's of God, there should never be an opportunity to give clothes away, to give food away, to, in this case, give to people in Haiti that we're not even going to be able, we're going to give some of it to, to Belize, but some of it we're going we're to take what we would have spent repairing houses and just give it to those missionaries. I can't wait to hear the stories of their saying, you're giving me what for why? And they're not going to know it's from us. Who cares? I just would love to be there with a video camera. Because the, the missionaries said to me, they said, we haven't even, this was when we were in Florida. They said, we haven't even told our staff yet. They said, we, we, we don't even know how to tell our staff that they're not going to have any work to do. And we've actually had staff volunteer to go with us. They got no money but they had something to do for a week. They had three meals for a week and they had a place to sleep on an air mattress in, in a church that has no electricity or running water. And they said, I would rather be doing God's work, hanging out with you all than at home doing nothing. We need to be irrationally generous. In this day and age, in our society, in America, That'll change the world. So, <laughs> the question is not, are you rich? The question is, are you any good at it? We're going to find out over the next few weeks. Let's pray together. God, everything you've given us from the next breath we breathe, from the looks we have, from the family you gave us, you allowed us to be born into this nation 
which is financially the richest in history. Thank you for that. But God, let, let us not miss why you, get, you put us here. And let this little bitty church in East Texas change the world so that when we walk into heaven someday, we are greeted with people we've never even met who said, you gave and my life was changed. God, help us to recognize when, when we're suffering from a side effect of being rich and then help us to go to your word to get the prescription for how we overcome this disease, this hoarding, worrying disease. We're just going to give you the glory for doing things. We don't even know what you're going to do, but when we trust you, we know that blessing always comes after obedience. We're going to obey God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.